Hey, you guys, you already know what time it is. It is the tea is toxic. And thanks so much for tuning in. Um, if you guys caught the last few episodes, I've done Sherry Papini. I've done Reggie Harding on Spotify and YouTube. Um, if you haven't checked it out, definitely go listen to it. And if you don't want to listen to it, that's fine. Listen to this one. I'm not going to complain. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I decided to start something a little new since I'm so new to the tea is toxic. And I wanted to start everything by doing a segment called How Did We Get Here? Which kind of pretty much explains what led to this toxic story. So you guys know when <clears throat> you see those memes and they're like, you know, it's not healthy to watch a lot of true crime. It's not healthy to fall asleep to true crime. You might be a psychopath, y'all. I'm a big part of the problem, okay? Because if there's one thing that I love, it's some true crime podcasts, true crime um, docu-series, documentaries. Shout out to some of my faves, you know, Black True Crime Podcast, Sisters Who Kill, Bailey Syrian. It's the mystery for me. I'm locked in every single week definitely check them out these girls are on spotify so how did we get here easy i'm listening to one of these girls and lo and behold an extremely toxic person comes up right every murder is not a toxic murder it's a psychopathic murder but it doesn't make it a toxic one but this one right here i think takes the cake for why in the world all of this energy. So let's get into it. We're going to talk about John List today, okay? John List was born in Michigan, and he was named after his father. Now, his family was Lutheran. He grew up Lutheran. They were heavy in the church. Um, His father was a Sunday school teacher, and he ended up following in his father's footsteps in his adult life. Once he got settled down with his family, he became a Sunday school teacher, but we'll talk about that later, okay? Now, in 1943, time skip, right? We're going to jump straight ahead to when he gets a little older. He enlists in the U.S. Army. He serves as a lab tech in the World War II. And in 1946, he was discharged. Uh, He enrolled at the University of Michigan, and then he got his bachelor's in business administration and a master's in accounting. So good for you, John. You you know, you're taking off okay so far. In 1950, November, John was called back to active military service due to the Korean War. When he got stationed in Virginia, he met Helen Morris-Taylor. Okay, now Helen, she already had a daughter named Brenda, but that didn't stop him. He was like, let me just get my stepdaddy voice prepared. And that's exactly what he did. He became a stepfather. They got married in December 1st, 1951, and it was in Baltimore, Maryland. Now, the family ended up moving to North Carolina, okay? In 1952, John completed his second tour and started working for a paper company. So... Everything's going good. They start their family. They have their children. They end up having three children by 1959. But the marriage was low-key a little rocky, okay? Helen, she was an unstable, unhappy, jealous kind of drunk. You know, you know those people, they, they just... I, I don't understand people that drink to be angry, right? Because when I drink... If I choose to get drunk, 
I'm an excited drunk. I'm a happy drunk. I'm a frisky drunk. Flirty. People who drink and they're just furious, angry, attitude. What's the liquor for? Like, I thought we were having a good time. I thought you were going to be a vibe. But Helen was not a vibe. <clears throat> okay. She took a lot of her anger out on John. She was constantly in his face. Nah, 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 nah. Okay. But 1960, that first child that they had, Brenda, she was grown. She was out the house. Okay. It was just Helen. It was John. It was their three kids. And later down the line, John also moves in his mother. Not mother-in-law, but mother. So now that Brenda was grown, she got married. She leaves the house. Okay. And the rest of the family ends up moving to Rochester, New York. And John takes a job with Xerox. In 1965, he accepted a position at a bank in Jersey City. And then that's where he purchased the Victoria Mansion, moved his family and his mother in. It was like the perfect family man. Let me just start by saying, when I was a kid, I moved around a lot. Now, it wasn't because I was an army brat or any of that other stuff. My parents just was not keeping it together. They were young and they were not being financially responsible. So in their 20s into their 30s, we were all over like, this year I got this school, the next year I got that school. And then we finally settled on a small town when I was 10 and that's where I graduated from. But that's really the energy that John's giving. I mean, he has really moved his family all over the country so far. And it's just like, my guy, are we gonna settle down? Are we going to relax? Are we gonna chill out? Whatever. So now they've gone from North Carolina to New York to Jersey City. And now they're living good. You know, John is making sure he's taking care of them and they're happy, okay? But there's a little bit of a problem. John, he's not really accepted in the workforce, okay? He comes off icky, he seems creepy. His coworkers thought he had a great life, but he had no friends because they called him aloof. Aloof, what's aloof? I'm gonna tell you what aloof is, y'all, in case you don't know. I took a little Google clip, and here's what I got for aloof. Not friendly or forthcoming. Cool and distant. Conspicuously uninvolved and uninterested, typically through distaste. So John was not getting along with people, okay? He was like, I'm going to come in. I'm going to clock my nine to five. No, I don't want to go bowling. No, I don't want to have, you know, cocktail uh, hour after work. Leave me alone. And so he really lacked those social skills, and he came off to his employees as cold, okay? And because of it, remember I said there was a lot of moving around. Well, come to find out, that's why John was losing his jobs. Yeah, he had the degrees, and he had the experience, but the ability to interact with individuals in order to keep a healthy work life, he just didn't have that. Okay, it seemed like he was moving up the professional ladder, but in reality, his inability to connect made him look dangerous and he was fired because of it. Because nobody likes the guy showing up at work in a trench coat and no happy highs or hellos or smiles. You feel me? And the same thing happened with that Jersey City bank. But John wanted his family to think he had a job, so he would continue like the routine of waking up, getting ready getting dressed, eating breakfast, grabbing his briefcase, heading to the train station, and then that's where it stopped, y'all. 
He didn't have anywhere else to go after that. So he would literally sit at the train station with his, in his unemployment suit, with his unemployment briefcase, and his unemployment top hat, and he would just think of having a job, and he'd read the newspaper. Now, as wild is, this is a time where employment options are in the back of the newspaper. He continued for months playing this game instead of just being honest with his family. I understand your wife is a little naggy. I get it. But come on, John. At any point in time, you could have just got another job. Okay? But he didn't. The bills start piling up. He starts getting more stressed out. Now, mind you, his mother lives with him. So he's actually been digging little pieces out of her account also of her money to pay some of these bills, but they live in a Victorian mansion in North Jersey, near New York. It doesn't get any crazier than that. I mean, you're living really good and it doesn't matter what time or century we're in, it's gonna cost you. Well, eventually time comes, mortgage payments were due, he didn't wanna pay them, and then the foreclosure process began. And John needed a plan to get out of dealing with all of this weight of the stress and the responsibility of making sure everyone else was taken care of. And he came up with this plan on November 9th, 1971. He decided to, you know, play it all out. So on that day, the kids went to school and Helen's sitting in the dining room having her coffee. John walks up behind her while the kids are in school. He puts a gun to the back of her head and he pulls the trigger. Then he goes upstairs to his 84-year-old mother's room. And she lived like, if you guys see the picture, that top, top, top part that's like an attic, but you can tell it's so big. It's almost giving like apartment vibes, you know, in-law suite apartment vibes because there's a lot of space up there, okay? He goes all the way up there, okay? And he shoots her over her left eye. Now it's the afternoon. His 16-year-old and 12-year-old get home. He has two boys and a girl. The 16-year-old is the daughter. The 12-year-old is the son. He shoots both of them in the back of the head while they're coming into the house. And then here's where it starts to get toxic. Now, prior, it was unhealthy. And what he did was wrong. But here's where things start to really take a turn because after shooting them, he's like, "Mm, I'm hungry. And everybody knows you can't kill on an empty stomach, right? So then John, as if he didn't just slaughter a majority of his family, goes into the kitchen and makes himself a sandwich. He finishes his lunch like it's any old regular day. He drives to the bank afterwards Mind you, bodies still laid out everywhere. He closes out his account and his mother's account, takes the cash with him. He goes to his oldest child's high school and his son was playing soccer or in other places, football, (laughs) but he was playing soccer. And John goes there and he's like, you know what? I'm just going to watch the game. He watches the the soccer game, brings the son home, and then shoots him in the chest. But the problem was the son was a little stronger. He had a little more kick and he saw it coming. So he had received the most shots because he was trying to get away from John. 
Once all of this was done, okay, John calls all the schools, tells them that the kids will be away for a while. He sits down in his study and writes a five-page letter to his pastor, confessing that he was trying to save his family's souls from the temptations and sins of the world. And the icing on the cake was when his daughter said she wanted to become an actress, that's when he knew that because that link to Satan through acting, he needed to save his family, y'all. Now he puts the bodies in sleeping bags and moved them all to the ballroom of the mansion. But he couldn't bring his mother down because she was just too heavy. He worked this whole plan through the night. And it's interesting because the, the photo you guys are seeing, someone had actually reconstructed what it would have looked like or what it did look like when he had brought all of the bodies in inside these sleeping bags. Now, John wasn't done. Do we get more toxic? Oh, we're getting there. Okay. Take a shot every time I have to say the word toxic. Okay. Next morning, he cuts his face out of all the pictures in the house so that the police wouldn't have a picture of him when the bodies were discovered. Hmm. He puts a stop on the mail delivery, newspaper deliveries, and the milk deliveries. Then he turns down the thermostat completely so that the house will stay cold and slow down the decaying process of the bodies. Okay, leaves it at freezing temperatures. He turns the radio up so that it looks or sounds like someone is at home at all times. And then he turns on all the lights so that it'll seem like someone's living in the house at all times. And then he heads out. Never be seen again. In short, John had it all figured out and he left nothing undone. Now, the neighbors noticed the lights were always on and radio playing, but no movement. Here's where it starts getting sketchy because eventually the lights started going out and that's what got their attention the most because you had the kitchen light went out. Then maybe a few days later or a week later, the ballroom lights went out. Lights started burning out all over the place. So that's when the neighbors decided to make a call. But... Once again, like I said, this was a overtime process. So it was almost a month before the police were notified and then the bodies were discovered. The thing is, as aloof as John was, the family really kept to themselves as well. Yeah, you know, you had the oldest son who played soccer and he probably, based off of, you know, the reputation of sports players in this country, more than likely was a little more well-known. But it's not like there were sleepovers or parties or it wasn't even like they were using the ballroom for anything, okay? My opinion, a mansion with a ballroom and no parties because you have no friends is wild, but y'all got that. So the police get there, they knock, they look through the window, and then that's when they see the bodies. That's when they start the nationwide manhunt, okay? They investigated, the police, of course, hundreds of leads, but they got nowhere, especially with no pics and a one-month head start for John. They found the family car parked at JFK in New York, which is an airport, if you don't know what JFK is. John had actually dropped the car off at the airport. Then he took the train and bus from New Jersey to Michigan and then to Colorado. Needless to say, they can't find John. The case grows cold. Now, John settles in Denver in 1972 and takes another accounting job under his new name, Robert Peter Clark. 
AKA Bob. He got the name from a college classmate named Robert Clark. When they finally had an opportunity to interview John later down the line, he told them that that was one of his college friends. But when they got a hold of Robert Clark, he was like, I don't even know who that dude is. So y'all can keep me out of this. Once again, in good old pattern of toxic fashion, John joins another Lutheran congregation. He ends up leading the carpool ministry. <clears throat> and then at church, he meets Dolores Miller. They hit it off just like his first wife, because for such an aloof man, he sure does know how to get ladies, which is so wild. You don't know how to talk to men, but you do know how to talk to women. I digress. So they end up married in 1985. Now the time shows that he's already been living over 10 years without being caught. That's toxic. Take a shot. Dolores, she had no idea about his past or his real identity. And in good old John fashion, because he can't stay in one place too long, in February of 1988, they moved to Midlothian, Virginia. And he was still using the name Bob Clark, working as another accountant at another firm. But then, here's where it gets wild. A show comes out. A show that we all know of, that our grandparents either played while we were kids or we watched because we were the grands or whatever. America's Most Wanted. And they had a very interesting episode. The killing of John's family. On the episode, they did have a forensic sculptor create a head of how John most likely looked. Because remember, John had cut all the, the um, photos up, took his face out of everything. He was just head, he was just shoulders and body. Okay, no head, just shoulders and arms. So they got this forensic sculptor, okay? And he linked up <clears throat> with a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Mm. And they spoke together and based off of the personality information, that's how he was able to create this sculpture without having an actual face. Okay? The case was considered the oldest that they showed and John had already been missing for 18 years. You know how much shit you can get into in 18 years? That's a long time. <clears throat> in Denver, where John was at originally before they moved to Virginia, his neighbors were watching the show and they saw the sculpture and realized that that looked like John. So they called the show and they gave a tip and that's when they located John. So remember I said that the sculptor had gotten with a psychologist to get like a, an idea. He was so on point with this bust, right? That's what they call it when it's just the head of the person that's missing. He was so on point with it based off of the information given to him that he gave John, fast forwarding the time, a receded hairline, saggy jaw, and glasses. In his opinion, he thought that John would use glasses to disguise himself and try to make himself seem more important than he was. And guess what? 
That's exactly what John was doing. Those little punk ass glasses you see on his Squidward nose. Yeah, no, those are not necessary. He just wants to look like he's someone. <clears throat> when John was arrested, he actually was wearing the same exact style of glasses that the sculptor created for the bus. It's giving psychic vibes, but you got that, Mr. Sculptor. June 1st, 1989, John was arrested at work. He wasn't going to go out like that, though, for a whole month. He kept saying, you got the wrong guy. I'm Bob Clark. I'm Bob Clark. It's not me. I don't know what you guys are talking about, but it ain't me. But the police ended up showing him all of the evidence that matched him. Evidence that you can't just cut out like a picture, such as, I don't know, the DNA, fingerprints, shoe prints. John, you lived there. We have all of this information, and now we're putting two together, two and two together. So finally, in February 16th of 1990, John confesses his true identity. And that's when he gets into telling them the story. And pretty much the story that he told them is what I just told you guys about how he was able to escape. But rather than John take responsibility for his actions, he throws it all on his wife that he murdered, blaming it on, let's do it, her alcoholism, her untreated syphilis. He said that this transformed her into an unattractive woman, turned her from an from an attractive woman to quote an unkept, paranoid shut in. You know, this is not a man bashing podcast, but I will say this: one thing I cannot get with is when any man or woman finds that they've been caught up in some shit they did themselves. And now it's got to be everyone around them's problem. Especially if you're talking about a spouse. Since when your first wife has syphilis. Stop playing around, John. And more importantly, don't do that. You know what it's giving? It's like if someone cheats and it's like, okay, yeah, you cheated, but you didn't have to tell her my breath stink. Like, why are you telling personal business, John? And syphilis isn't even the kind of thing that you can't just get rid of. Like, doesn't that only require a shot? penicillin or something like that like come on john stop your wife was not just sitting around you know barking her syphilis alcoholic lips at you 24 7 none of that was even necessary john like you're petty you're petty it's definitely giving oh who lives in a pineapple under the sea ass boy stop your squidward games but that wasn't all he had to say about his wife you guys and he's he's so icky he said she belittled him publicly. She told him his sex was trash compared to her first husband. Not gonna lie, y'all. I probably, I kind of believe that that was a thing. I could see, I could see her saying that, especially if he's so weird. Where it's like, what's wrong with you? Do something with yourself. The psychologist said John showed no remorse or empathy and never apologized for his actions. He ended up being diagnosed obsessive compulsive, and that's what considered what caused him to only consider two solutions to his problem. And the two options that he had considered because of his alleged OCD was accept welfare because he's lost his job or kill his family. And John wasn't taking no government handouts because then the family would be exposed and ridiculed and he'd be seen as a failure. So 
between the failures, the nagging wife and the mother, he could only kill and help his family, quote, get to heaven. Bro, now mind you, once again, all of this could have been avoided if he had just looked at the paper to find a job. You seem to find a job all over the world, but now all of a sudden, this is where you have to draw the line. No, John, stop playing. You're toxic. In court, the judge hit John with five life terms concurrently, back to back. John got one life, y'all, one life to live. And the judge treated him like he was a cat with nine lives and was like, when you die, we're going to bring you back. You're going to relive the rest of these life sentences. Sheesh. In 2002, John did an interview with Connie Chung. And he was asked why he didn't unalive himself after he did the family, right? Why was this not a murder-suicide, John? You got all the balls in the world. What happened with you? How did you end up here an additional 18 years? And John's answer was really simple. Me? And my life? And not get to heaven? Are you crazy, lady? No, no, no. I want to be able to reunite with my family. I set them free. I can't set me free because then I won't be where they are. John, I would definitely say that your lack of remorse and empathy was going to be the thing that's out you from reuniting with your family. So you need not have to worry about that. You're not going to see them. March 21st, 2008, John gets pneumonia and he dies. He was 82 years old. This man lived a very long life and had a long time of freedom before even being put into, quote, captivity, right? Now, as for the mansion, it was destroyed by arson 10 months after the murders. And they think that, of course, that was intentional because of the bodies that were, that had been, um, the lives that had been taken in that house. And so they just, you know, I don't know, maybe the neighbors didn't want to bring down the property value. They was like, get that shit out of here. A new house, though, it was built on the land in 1974. So, y'all, that is the story of John List. This man took killing to another level. And, you know, I'm definitely a big component in resenting people hide behind religion as an excuse to do un, unreligious things, okay? Everyone that's in church or has any kind of specific religion, they are not bad people. But I cannot stand the bad apples that make everyone else look crazy. This is the reason why church hurt is a thing, which we're not going to get into today because this isn't about specifically church hurt. But at the end of the day, John wanted to be part of all these different ministries and all these different clubs in his faith. And he never actually used his faith to get where he needed to go. He only focused on himself and used his own state of mind to make his decisions, OCD or not. If you're choosing church, then you're choosing faith and you're choosing God. And if you're not using those very things, then you're just a fraud. Only thing you're doing is taking up space. This isn't church for you, John. This is community service. 
And I do believe that. I really honestly, you guys, I really honestly believe that there are people out here who go to church to kind of like offset their sins. So it's like, oh my gosh, I killed someone today. So I need to go to church for like a month. That way I can get back in God's good graces and get to heaven. And that's not how that works. Religion does not provide you a genie from Aladdin, right? That's going to grant all your wishes. Like, grow the hell up, John. You spent your whole life in church and you didn't want to disappoint your father by going on welfare. So you disappoint him by ending all of your family's lives. What what would Jesus do, John? What would he do? I think that this was definitely a toxic, toxic character because he, I mean, this was such a well thought out plan, y'all. It doesn't get any more calculated. And this man really spent all of that time at a train station. I don't know how he didn't get no hemorrhoid sidebar because aren't those train stations like wood benches? Boy, if you don't get your tough ass buns out of here. But anyway, he really spent all that time calculating how to end the lives of everyone he claimed to love instead of figuring out how to get them in a better position. Now, what I wasn't able to find out was anything about Brenda, the stepdaughter who had kind of grown up, not kind of, who did grow up and moved on with her life and had her family. And it's a shame because, you know, she lost siblings. She lost her mother. She's essentially like an orphan by that point. So, you know, so sorry for her for that one. But you guys let me know what you thought about this. Let's rate it. Toxic on a scale of 1 to 10. What is it giving? And if there's anyone that you want me to talk about, definitely inbox me. You can uh, find me on Instagram, AJ's Toxic Seat, AJZ, and the same on TikTok.